The Lead Story is proudly brought to you by Alex Forbes. Alex Forbes, insight, advice, impact. I'm joined by the Director of Enforcement and Cartels Division at the Namibia Competition Commission, Polis Hangula. Polis, explain to us some of the cases that you are currently busy with. We currently have about 15 ongoing investigations. These are cases that at what we call is a level section 33 stage, which means that we have issued a notice to the concerned parties of our decision to initiate the investigations. We have communicated to the parties the reasons and the allegations which led to the decision to start the investigations. We have engaged the parties in terms of affording them an opportunity to make responses and representations to the allegations and we are currently busy now with the actual investigations which entail gathering of relevant information, evidence, conducting industry analysis to determine market structure, conduct as well as performance and also consulting various literature, secondary information from local as well as international literature. But mostly the information that we are gathering is coming from the the consent parties as well as other relevant industry participants. Now, the investigations that we have in various sectors of the Namibian economy, ranging from the health, uh, banking, telecommunication, and mostly retail as well as poultry industry. We did communicate some of the investigations that we have initiated at the time when we initiated them. And the reason for that was that there are some investigations where we feel that perhaps the impact of the, the conduct, should it be the case that there is an anti-competitive conduct, is that the impact will be significant to the Namibian people, to the consumers out there, as well as to other market participants. So what we did in those cases, we published our decision to initiate the investigation, and we also indicate the reasons why the investigations have been initiated. But we also do emphasize that the aims of the investigation is basically to determine whether there has been a contravention, the part of those that are subject to the investigations. So at the stage, whenever we communicate, we always emphasize that there is no wrongdoing that has been found by the commission. That is mainly the aim of the investigation and mainly the focus is to try and determine through the investigation whether there has been a contravention or not. Now, some of those cases um, that we have published is the cases in the banking sector, which is facing two investigations and both are currently ongoing. Those investigations pertain to various practices that we have actually observed. There has been some complaints from the public, but of course, at the end of the day, we are not saying the, the practices are anti-competitive. That's what we aim to determine. But these practices pertain to the charges of various banking services. It also pertains to historical conduct of setting of interchange, which is the fees that is payable between commercial banks when a client of one bank uses an ATM that belongs to another bank or a speed point machine that belongs to another bank. So there is a fee that is then settled between the two banks. That is the, the issuing bank as well as the, the acquiring bank. We are also looking at a fishing sector, there were allegations of price fixing between the various vessel owners. What we basically did is that we, we did communicate to the re relevant parties, the, the parties that were, were alleged to be engaged in, in this conduct. We are now busy in terms of gathering information from those parties so that at the end of the day, we determine whether really there is a price fixing that is happening, basically within the space of horse mackerel species. 
We are also looking into the telecommunication sector, specifically the leasing of the dark fiber cables. The dark fiber cables mainly means that when an entity has fiber cables that has been set up, let's say, within the area of Zendok and it's mostly underground, there is usually excess capacity or unused capacity. And the reason why it's called dark fiber cable is because it's unused at that time. So what happens is that if an entity has unused fiber cable, capacity or space, it can then rent out that space to anybody that would want also to offer service through fiber cables. So what we we then observe is that there were agreements that were entered into many, many years ago, whereby an entity that is the owner of the dark fiber cables leases them out to other entities for them to be able to provide various telecommunication services to their customers. But then those agreements ran for a, a long period of time and in competition law is that if there is an agreement that designates a specific entity having access sole or restricted access to a certain product or a certain service and that agreement is for a very long time it's actually problematic because it means that anybody else that may want to also have access to that service or product which is subject to the agreement cannot do so and if you have an agreement that stretches for let's say 10 years, it means then 10 years, the party that is benefiting from the use of, from the sole use or restrictive use of that service or product subject to the agreement will enjoy that advantage for a period of 10 years. Normally what one would want is to to see an option where an entity that has service and would like to lease or, or rent out that service to others, that it should have shorter agreement. And in competition law, a duration that is considered to be at least pro-competitive is one that is say about three years because at least every three years others out there in the market will have a chance to actually participate in the trying to to get access to the service or product that is offered through the agreements. A case that's on everyone's mind is uh, the pharmaceutical case. Can you tell us about that one? Yes. That's a case that we initiated in um, 2018, it came as a result of concerns from some of the industry participants within the pharmaceutical sector. So they approached the commission and they said they appear to be something that is anti-comparative. At the time, they were not sure. So they asked for an advisory opinion from the commission. The issue pertained then to the fact that all the pharmacies in Namibia have a system through which markup of 50% is put on, on the cost price of medicine. We then indicated to the at the time, to the parties concerned at the time, through our advisory opinion that the conduct appears to be problematic. What happened after that is that we, as a commission, we then probed further and we actually found that in terms of the pricing practice in the market, is that there is a software, so to say, that is required to be used by each pharmacy, which then has a formula that is hard-coded in it and automatically calculates what the price would be, which is the cost price plus 50%. And we found that actually the Pharmaceutical Society of Namibia prevents pharmacies or their members who are pharmacists from deviating from this, as it's said to be against the rules of the society, which means that as a member of of the society, one cannot deviate because you deviate from that, you are then accused to be engaged in what is referred to as touting.
doubting is prohibited in terms of the society's rules. And we also found that there has been at least efforts to try and do away with that, but that has received resistance who have opted to maintain that pricing formula. Based on that, the commission then finalized the investigation and made the proposed decision that the society as well as the, the member pharmacies have contravened the act in terms of price fixing. When we did that, we then issued our notice of of the proposed decision, which indicated the, the findings of a contravention, and it also indicated the reasons as to why we have found the contravention, and we communicated this to the pharmacies as well as the uh, the society. In terms of the act, we are required then to afford the parties at this stage uh, an opportunity to respond. We did that. They also then did ask for an opportunity to make oral representations, and once that opportunity is requested, the commission is then required to convene what we call is a section 37 conference whereby they would come in and make those submissions that they they wish to make orally. The commission is required in terms of the act also to invite any other person to be present at the conference. We did invite some of the, because there was a few pharmacies who were able to demonstrate to the commission that they do not stick to the 50% pricing. There were some of the pharmacies that were subject to various threats from the society that they must not deviate from the pricing practice. So we invited those also to participate in the conference. They came after having considered those representations at the conference, there were issues that were raised, which the commission was only aware of at the time. So we did then request for the parties to submit at a later stage in writing queries that we wanted them just to verify. They did that. We considered those. We produced a report which then take into account our proposed decision, then it takes into account the representations that they've made. And that is what will form the basis then on whether the commission will proceed to court or not after having made the proposed decision that is a contravention and after having had the written as well as oral representations that were made at the conference. So after we then considered everything, we produced the report and the views of the commission basically were that the parties have not disposed of the honors to convince the commission that it should not proceed and institute court proceeding. We then gazetted the decision. It's a decision of the commission to proceed to court. It's basically a gazette notice where we indicate that we intend to take the, the society as well as the pharmacies to court after we have found them to have contravened the act in terms of price fixing. Before they would institute the proceedings uh, as provided for in section 38 of the act, the society and the concerned pharmacies then brought an application in court in terms of review, uh, raising a number of issues with regards to the commission's processes and procedures and also raising issues with regards to whether there was fairness in our process or there is perhaps biasness in our processes. Yes, there were some parties that we eventually decided not to proceed against in terms of instituting court proceedings. So, of course, the, the matter was then heard and the judgment was delivered against the commission. And basically, from our side, we, we do respect the, the judgment as well as the views of the courts. But in any event, in our operations, I think we, at the utmost level, always try to, to, to maintain procedural fairness, transparency, 
and really follow the provisions as provided for in terms of the Act. I mean, we don't deviate from what the provisions of the Act dictate. And in this case, the provisions of the Act says that if after we have finalized the investigation, we must then issue a written notice. And in that written notice, we must indicate the reasons as to why we have found the contravision. And we must also indicate the relief that we may seek from court. And and that's basically what we did. And from our side, we don't believe that there was any other requirement on our side other than the provisions that have been provided for in terms of the Act. But of course, the court is of a different view that evidence should have been advanced at that stage. But of course, perhaps it's a misinterpretation of, of some of those provisions. At the end of the day, it's always good to have a direction in terms of what the provisions should be interpreted or perhaps what they mean. But in this case, we believe that the requirement is that there should have been a notice, should have been the reasons in terms of where we have found the contravention. That's exactly what we did, but the court is of a different view, and we respect that. At this stage, there's no defined course of action we, we intend to do next. Um, we are in consultations with um, our legal representatives, and um, we will decide the next uh, course of, of action accordingly once we have considered the options that we have. And also just take into account to say that, say we are to live by the judgment, what does it mean in practice? How do we then align our internal processes as well to that? Or perhaps we could also say, do we then perhaps want to to appeal and, and perhaps get uh, the views of the Supreme Court and whatever the outcome of the Supreme Court, we will have to live by it because that is the, the ultimate court. But those are options basically that we are looking at. Having to consider the anti-competitive behavior in various markets to allow for equitable c- competition, how many transactions have the NACC considered for the year thus far and how many were approved? The commission has considered um, 52 transactions. I believe the majority of them were approved. In terms of those that were not approved, there are very few. Of those 52 that the commission has assessed and approved, most of them were approved with conditions. The conditions basically pertains to uh, issues of social welfare, try and and protect or enhance um, social welfare. Also, what we do is that we do monitor, especially transactions that we approve with conditions to ensure that the the parties um, concerned they comply with those conditions so that at least we ensure that the conditions are, are maintained as imposed by the commission. The benefits of those conditions are realized eventually by the Namibian people. Through our assessment of transactions, uh, we always ensure that we look at how the market will be post-major. That is now once the trans- if, if the transaction is to be approved and to proceed, what will be the, the effect on the market? And, and that is basically what the assessment does. Now, should there be a problem, it's either that specific transaction is not approved or there are conditions that are then imposed to ensure that that problem is, is either addressed or is prevented from happening. How difficult is it to find sound information to make and base your findings on for these considerations? Usually from the the parties that are merging, right? It's not really a challenge for us. And it, it's uncommon to find a party not willing to submit information because, I mean, these are the parties that are 
that have a stake in the whole process. I mean, they want to match. And in most cases, they would comply. Um, you would find situations where perhaps one or two parties would would say, yeah, the information is confidential or, or, or they don't have the information. Uh, but it's, it's, it's rare, especially um, in, in coming from the parties that are, that are merging. Now, the, the challenge is mainly from third parties, right? Because if you have, um, say, company A and company B that want to merge, and then you have company C, D, and E in the market, um, you can approach those three and say, I would like to get information pertaining to your revenues or your financials or any other relevant information for the consideration of the major. But then these are third parties that have no interest in the in the major that is uh, that is filed with the commission. Um, they do not have a, a, a stake in it, um, or perhaps they are not concerned whether those parties can merge or not. Uh, they will. I mean, and it's within their rights uh, because we do not have powers in terms of chapter four to compel them. I mean, they would make, or they can tell you that no, we we have no issue with the major. The major can proceed, um, but we will not provide the information. And and really, if you don't have powers then to compel somebody to provide the information, there's really nothing you can do. Uh, we do try to emphasize that the, the act does maintain confidential information uh, in that manner, information that is not necessarily uh, in the public domain or information that is commercially sensitive. But if parties perhaps due to some other reason are not convinced or they feel that they don't need to give up such information, they can tell you and say, we are not going to give it up. We're not going to share this information because it's private. But in that case, really, in terms of our chapter four, there's really nothing you can do because there are no powers then to compel them to, 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 to provide such information. But we believe such information is crucial because it enables the commission to make a, an informed decision at the end of the day. Because once you have all the information, you are able to really uh, uh, thoroughly assess the, the transaction at hand, assess the potential effects, and make a conclusion that really is beneficial to all the parties uh, out there at the end of the day. So so it's also beneficial to parties out there to, to provide um, all uh, accurate as well as thorough information to enable the commission to make an informed assessment which will lead to an informed outcome, at least, which will benefit all the market participants. Thank you so much. Then, are there any new initiatives or requirements planned for the near future that the prospective business owners need to be made aware of or need to provide input on? There are a number of initiatives that the Commission is looking at at such a point when necessary will definitely engage the public. And this was in the fishing when we issued a, a media statement. We also emphasize that um, the Competition Commission does 
have um, a leniency program whereby parties can self-report their engagement on their involvement in anti-competitive practices or especially in cartel conduct. And then they then afford the total leniency from prosecution provided that their information leads to successful prosecution of the rest of the participants. We are busy with a review process which is aimed at trying to make it uh, easier as a process for uh, concerned parties to approach the commission and, and apply for leniency. And once we get to that stage, we, which we anticipate to be sometime next year, we will be able to call on the public and um, get their inputs and views on that. We also have uh, guidelines that we are developing, external guidelines. We have major thresholds that we are also studying to determine whether the current filing fees uh, needs revision upward or downward, or perhaps it needs to stay as is. We are also looking at um, guidelines in terms of our processes, um, especially following the recent judgment. These guidelines we aim to at least just inform the public in terms of our processes as provided for in the Act. And hopefully we will be able at that time to engage them, that is the public, as well as the businesses on our processes so that everybody is aware in terms of what are the processes is provided for by the Act. Uh, really in layman's terms so that it's clear and does not refer to section this and section that, especially non-lawyers may not really completely understand their meanings. Just the last question, I don't want to keep you. What would be the strategic focus areas for the NACC for the next one to three years and how would this impact private sector? Our strategic plan is coming to an end in 2025, or if I may say the end of the next financial year, which which, which will be 2024-2025. What we aim to do then is that, okay, firstly, before I even go there, is that we, we do have the, the bill that we hope by then it will, it will be an act. It, it has been approved by cabinet and it's now an act of parliament. Uh, what we then intend to do is that we, in the next financial year, within that year, we intend to embark now upon the, the, the new strategic direction guided by the provisions that we, we want to, 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 to see that we have in the bill. It will also be led by public engagements, consultations, because once the, the bill has been passed and it's now an act of parliament, there will be now the next stage where we will disseminate the, the amended act to all the stakeholders, it will provide for a change of some of the processes, also some of the administrative process and setups, which we, we will have then to firstly take into account in terms of our strategic plan, and then also take into account in terms of our operations, but importantly, which we will have then to also share with the rest of the, the Namibian people. The lead story was proudly brought to you by Alex Forbes. Alex Forbes, insight, advice, impact.